To find out more details, check us out at mutinyradio.fm. Yes, it's Labor and Love, Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Welcome.
I had a slouch hat too one time. The old slouch hat. I just keep walking around, and he keeps walking around with me, around and around that necktie counter we went. When it rained, I wore my old slouch hat. It was a good felt that I uh, had to carry through many rainy days, late fall and early spring. Perhaps it was a rainy day, and the house dick might have saw my hat. Each tie on that ring worth six bucks. Brooks Brothers, 60 bucks worth of ties. Slacks with peculiarities. I couldn't even find a pair of slacks I thought it was suitable to wear. Wrapped one pair around me and pinned it in with a safety pin. <laughs> Pulled up my trousers and went out and looked at myself in the mirror. Oh no, those won't do, and I walked out. Wrapped the slacks around my waist. Took two other pair, went to the mirror, threw them at the salesman. No, those won't do, good afternoon, and walked out. The slouch hat I got at Harvard Club, Yale Club, Princeton Club, or one of the other Dartmouth Club, University Club. Always barred the yacht club, because it was a little over my kin. Because the doorman knew that only Mr. Astor, Mr. Vanderbilt, and Mr. Whitney belonged. He couldn't say, good morning, Mr. Astor, because he knew I wasn't Mr. Astor. I always figured a way to heel into those other clubs. Not only a member of Who's Who, but a Who's Who also have to be a member of Who's Who in New York in the special clique of Who's. <laughs> I'd get in the athletic club many times. Then I'd go up in the billiard room, and I would wander back around the room, hands and back, and every coat rack I backed up against the field for the wallet. One day I walked out of there with 10 wallets. Bellboy looking me over. Pretty soon a very dignified looking gentleman come up and buzzed the bellboy. He says, who? And I says, man told me his name while we're drinking at the bar and told me to meet him in this billiard room in the athletic club. I don't see him, so I best I better go. Well, tell me about the old slouch hat. Oh, one of my numerous trips to one of the numerous clubs in New York City. The hat finally was left in the hotel, which I had to leave rather hurriedly one night, never to return. So the hat was given to the cast-offs of the hotel, which they collect and rummage sells. May now be worn by one of the members of Skid Row, New York City, the Bowery. I seen that hat by moonlight. Yeah. I had a pointed mustache, and I mean pointed, half inch from here. Double-breasted vest and a derby hat and striped trousers, English shoes, black, very pointed. They were Hannah shoes. People on Broadway turn and look at me. The worst is yet to come. I had a pince knee with a long black ribbon to my buttonhole. And I wore a carnation, white or red. Boy, did I look like something. A year later, I got caught. I was dressed differently and everything, but boy, that mustache and that pince necks was really out of this world. I used that outfit six months. Finally had to pack it in because it was too well-worn. Pince was in a coat I stole. Mustache I grew in the sanitarium while taking one of my numerous drug cures. My mother come to see me, she says, oh no, cut it off. I'm just having a little fun, mother. Took it on the lamb and went to Canada. Late at night, I'm full of morphine and I come down full of goofballs too. This guy had a ventriloquist doll and he gave out this Texas Guinan routine. Hello, sucker! 
We like your money as well as anybody else's. As a matter of fact, the bigger your roll, the more we take you. He used to get everybody interested with the doll and cut out silhouettes, put stripes in your tie. Wound up in his room, gave him a shot of morphine. Out on the highway, I thumbed a ride into Buffalo, and I put the bum on the guy for something to eat. He said, eat in my drugstore. So we went in the back and he had corn on the cob and boiled potatoes. Say, fella, I always hear people talk about morphine. What's it look like? He shows me. He had a key, a cabinet. He had bottles of hundreds, quarter grains, half grains, pentapon, dilated, everything. As soon as he tended the customers, I emptied the bottles. Got out of there pretty quick, bought a safety pin in Buffalo and took a shot in the toilet. Come out and saw a fella shaving, his coat hanging there. Hung my own coat and gave his coat a brush with my hand. Felt his wallet, washed my hands, went out and took off with the wallet. So I started out on a shoplifting campaign in Buffalo. It was about 1910. Wasn't very experienced at it. Started out with a top coat and sold it in the taxi cab stand. Next day I decided to get myself some suits and I went up and I had a suit box and I walked about and put the suit box in one of the dressing rooms, looked and fooled in the mirror, went out and I hawked those two. Next day, like a damn fool, go out to the same store, but I got a newspaper instead of a suit box. Thought I'd try a new routine. Two guys kind of watching me. I went in, wrapped myself up, two suits, went in the elevator. Bottom gentleman tapped me on the arm. Will you come with me, please? And the county jail, they ate breakfast, you got oatmeal, with one spoonful of molasses. For lunch, stew, mostly bones, graveyard stew. And for supper, dinner at night, beans. And you couldn't smoke. Good morning, it's Labor and Love. Saber ante la migra. Cuando de pronto que nos cayó la migra Pensando que nos iba a deportar Pidió papeles y le importó muy poco Si mi familia se quedaba abandonada Pero por eso tenga o no tenga papeles Hay que saber sus derechos para poderse defender No tenemos que mostrar ningún papel No tenemos que decirle nada a nadie Menos a la mira, menos a la mira Y si la agarran usted ya sabe qué hacer Tenemos derecho de mantener silencio Tenemos derecho de hablarle a un abogado No tenemos que firmarle un documento Porque seguro es para la deportación Si vi a la migra ojeando por la calle Siga adelante como si no existiera Porque aunque buscan a quien se ve latino Persiguen a quien empiece a correr Póngase trucha, tenemos el derecho De andar sin ninguna identificación Sea cordial y no de información Que la tranquilidad puede ser su salvación No tenemos que mostrar ningún papel No tenemos que decirle nada a nadie Menos a la migra, menos a la migra 
si la agarran usted ya sabe qué hacer Tenemos derecho de mantener silencio Tenemos derecho de hablarle a un abogado No tenemos que firmar ni un documento Porque seguro es para la deportación Ay, 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 lucha raza Que tenemos mucho más derecho del que nos damos cuenta Valer, usted también paga impuestos, pobres. Es cierto que es muy bonita la confianza, pero la migra de ella se aventaja. Tratan de usar el miedo o la amistad para así ver qué información le sacan. Solo la unión sabemos que es la fuerza de nuestra tierra nunca nos van a sacar. Tenemos mucho más poder del que pensamos Pronto nos educamos y cambiamos hoy la ley ¡Órale! No tenemos que mostrar ningún papel No tenemos que decirle nada a nadie Menos a la migra, menos a la migra Y si la agarran usted ya sabe qué hacer Tenemos derecho de mantener silencio y hablarle a un abogado No tenemos que firmar ni un documento Porque es seguro para la deportación Good morning mutineers This is The B and you are tuned to Labor and Love Radio On Mutiny Radio here Every Saturday morning we do this live at 2781 21st Street and our uh, podcasts are available at uh, mutinyradio.fm slash podcasts or on iTunes under Labor and Love Radio. Good morning to you. Hope you had a good week. Hope everything's working out for you. Hope you had good work. And today, this is the Labor and Love Show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. And if you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table where you work, You're probably on the menu. I can almost guarantee it. Never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor because their attitude about labor and working people is like a spotlight into their soul. If those things are not important to them, ah, never let them into your heart. This is Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. And when I say labor, I mean you. This is your weekly labor magazine, labor opinion, labor commentary, labor history, interviews, what's going on with working people. And let's see what we got for you today. We've got Janelle Monet. Janelle Monet has been in the news again as she came out and, 
and said that she is politically involved, that people should get get to the polls and vote. Just like earlier, um, Taylor Swift had said the same thing. We're going to have a song. Labor and Love Radio leads us to Labor and Love Radio website where we have our labor beat. And I'm looking for a quote about uh, undocumented immigrants, but we'll see if we can run that down. Who cares if undocumented immigrants are coming into our country? They don't have Social Security, so they're not entitled to benefits. They are entitled to pay taxes. How can we deny entrance to people who have always, the type of people who have always provided the engine for American capitalism? That is, the hungry people, the people who come here in need, who are willing to work, who are willing to do the kinds of jobs other people are not willing to do. How can we keep out these dreamers? These dreamers are college students who often will turn into professionals and pay big taxes, who will provide funds for our social security system. As usual, we're shooting shooting ourselves in the foot. A whirlwind tour of wildcat strikes. Of course, you know, a wildcat strike is a strike that's not sanctioned by a larger labor body, like a labor council. This is workers responding directly to their conditions. Tougher new rules. Tougher new rules for organizers. The government can charge you now, can police whether or not you're doing right by the people in your bargaining agency. The Fair Labor Standards Act, 80 years ago today, 80 years old. How about Neil Young? There's news this week about Monsanto. They thought they dodged the bullet, but it It winged him, hit him pretty good. Neil Young will sing to us about that. How about robots? How about universal income? I read a Forbes article about a guy who's against the idea of universal income, and we have to think about that. What would a universal income do besides replace, besides... um, taking up the slack for workers who have, whose jobs have been replaced. The basic income debate. John Trudell, Mining Our Minds, Native American scholar, poet, philosopher. And Last week's new guy, St. Paul and the Broken Bones. We're going to hear more from them, too. (laughs) We've got the right version of that this week, Earl. I hope you're listening because it's coming out, coming at you. 
Okay, let's start with Neil Young. First of all, let's go over what we started. We had Santana, everything's going our way. Does it seem like if you're a Democrat, looks like things are going your way? Two big things so far. Karl Rove uh, predicted that the elections would turn on this caravan, caravan of 7,000 people coming to ask for asylum. And they're being treated like an invading army. Remember the uh, Statue of Liberty, send me your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. I lift my lamp beside the golden door or something like that. What happened to that? Well, we don't need a lot of people like Mr. Trump and his followers think we don't need those workers here. How wrong they are. How wrong they are. A purely economic level. These are people, as I said, who will provide the uh, work and pay taxes well into the future. Okay, second, we had Jack Kerouac with a nice piece about I used to have a slouch hat. This is from uh, Poems for the Beat Generation, Jack Kerouac and uh, Steve Allen. And then we had Francisco, <coughs> Francisco singing Saber Ante la Migra. Um, what we have to know what your your rights are. You don't have. You can remain silent. You have the right to talk to a lawyer. These are in the song. Okay, the type of literature such as a quilt. In the slave days, in the slave days, the quilt was these supposedly these supposedly innocuous designs, moons and rivers and things like that and forests oftentimes sometimes they were maps for slaves who wanted to escape a map telling them where to go follow the drinking gourd is one of the songs the drinking gourd of course was the uh, north star that's what Francisco's song is about. What we have to know, what, what you need to do, what's, what are you required to do by law, and what don't you have to do? Ante la migra. Okay, let's go for, let's see. Go for the broken bones. St. Paul and the Broken Bones. These were some new guys we discovered last week, a southern uh, soul band. So what do we got? We got, got it bad. St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Selling that southern thing, but we can't go 
fructose.
Let the church say amen. His usher. For years, Ray's Georgia should be on all our minds. Said Ray drove him crazy, constantly singing Hoagie Carmichael standards on their many long trips. It was just a matter of time till Ray recorded it. It became one of his most memorable songs for me and a lot of people around the world. I'm talking about Georgia on my mind. Georgia. Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia.
talking about Georgia, Georgia. the arms reach out to me other eyes smile tenderly still and peaceful Just an old sweet song, yeah. 
But in 
there sneaked in that's from our uh, <clears throat> Arlene album that'll be our background today jazz so we had I pity the poor immigrant Taj Mahal singing about the white nationalists Mr. Trump identified himself as a nationalist did he understand that to most people nowadays that means white nationalist? Or does he care? Mr. Trump is enjoying himself immensely saying whatever he feels like. Calling women horse face and talking about their looks and um, getting away with it. Before that we had Georgia on my mind and that was by Usher. And we're going to talk about why Georgia should be on everybody's mind. This is a classic textbook example of how a minority party wields majority power by cheating. Before that, we had uh, the world's greatest singer. That's what I call him. <laughs> Great Al Green singing the great Sam Cooke. A change is going to come, and it's coming. It's happening. And then before that, we had St. Paul and the Broken Bones, played from my buddy Earl J. Coleman. I hope you're out there listening. Um, a southern soul band, actually. And that was from their performance on CBS Live in the morning. Now, I just made the comment that Georgia should be on all of our minds, and in Georgia, we have a very strange kind of situation. It's also true in Kansas. <coughs> There's a man named Brian Kemp <coughs> who's running for governor. Um against an African-American woman. And uh, he's running for governor. She's running for governor. He happens to be the Secretary of State of the state of Georgia. That means he oversees who can vote and who can't. 
Does that sound like a conflict of interest to you? Certainly does to me, but I'm sure the question's been raised, but again, it's not illegal. And the headline is, this is by Greg Pallast, a pioneering um, journalist who specializes in voter suppression. George's Kemp purged 340,134 voters falsely asserting they had moved. Last year, Brian Kemp, Georgia's Secretary of State, canceled the registrations of over half a million Georgians because they left the state or moved to another country. Except they didn't. The state's top experts in address location reviewed Kemp's list of purged voters and returned the names and addresses of 340,000 who never moved at all. This is a great exodus from Georgia that never happened. They never should have been removed from the voter rolls, says John Lintzer, CEO of Cohere One, a voting specialist. The mass purge of voters by Kemp, GOP candidate for governor, through methods guaranteed to disproportionately take away the vote from the young, the poor, and voters of color. The experts who are analyzing this ran the names through an advanced address hygiene process that is digging through dozens, up to 200 dynamically updated bases. Now, how did Kemp get away with this? I call it purged by postcard. It wasn't invented by Kemp. It's used in dozens of states, mostly those controlled by Republican election officials works like this. If you miss an election, Kemp sends you a postcard. It looks like junk mail, but if you read the block of print carefully, it asks you to return the card to Kemp after you've filled in the address that's already on the front of the card. If you don't return the card and you miss an election, Kemp takes out his eraser and cancels you. Legally savvy voters may know that the National Voter Registration Act of 1993 prohibits canceling the registration of a voter who chooses not to vote. However, in June of this year, the Supreme Court said election officials can purge voters if they miss elections and don't return that postcard but only if the failure to return the postcard is a reasonable indication the voter has moved. Kemp's has steadfastly refused to look at evidence that would show a voter has not moved. Now, this whole thing of depending on the mail, who are people who might not get this, who might not look at it carefully, whose lives are so filled with just surviving or getting along. Another, another uh, tactic is to try to match. One Savannah voter who was purged was targeted by cross-check for supposedly moving to Illinois. 
He'd actually moved from Illinois to Georgia more than a decade ago. Crosscheck is a list of voters who supposedly are registered in another Georgia and another state. Evidence that they've moved. In Truth Out and Rolling Stone, okay, he's written this one. Chris Kobach of Kansas is the one who pioneered this one. Despite Kemp's denial, our experts found that 108,000 Georgia voters were also found in the cross-check list. Worse, careful review of post office files show 106,000 of these never left the state. These are working people, okay? Let's remember on Labor and Love Radio, we call it what it is. These are working people, by and large, who are being denied their right to vote. And as I always say, there always has been a majority of working people in this country. Always. But they have been systematically disenfranchised, systematically tricked, lied to by the ruling class, by the, the rich and famous, by the high and the mighty, in this case, mostly Republican operatives because it's Republicans who are in the minority. Anyway, this is on this is all on the Truth Out website and the headline is George's Kemp purged 340,000 voters. Go ahead and check it out yourself. Georgia should be always on our minds. <laughs> and uh, what did I say about um, Monsanto? Let's look at Monsanto because we've got uh, Neil Young playing about Monsanto and this case. Labor and love. Okay, well, let's listen to Neil. From the Monsanto years. He has a whole album about this. Six years ago, actually I met Lucas at a Neil Young concert. The band name, Promise of the Real, there's a song Neil has called Walk On. And it goes, uh, some get stoned, some get strange, sooner or later it all gets real, walk on. And, uh, you know, that was the coolest line ever, I thought, and, uh, and so, it kind of says, oh, there's, you know, the promise of the real. Sooner or later, it all gets real. It's a promise. So we named our band Promise of the Real. 
we would spend hours listening to Neil and just jamming along to it on bongos and acoustic guitar or wherever. And that was, that was it. You know, we just kind of started around that, around Neil. We wanted to go to the bridge school that year just to see the show, really. And um, Neil's crew was like, bring your guitars, you know. <laughs> Come on, bring your guitars. We want you guys to play with Neil. And it was so much fun. And uh, obviously for us, we were in heaven. Uh, we were on We're getting Neil Young coming up right now playing Walk On. I didn't particularly want to uh, hear the whole thing. It's an album called The Monsanto Years.
we got <clears throat> New Young got cut off short there. Sorry about that. That was Neil Young, See the Sky About to Rain. Relating to all the sadness that's around us. Um, somebody else went crazy today in Pittsburgh. So far, seven people have been shot. We had the bomber sending bombs. Of course, Mr. Trump is not taking any responsibility for that at all. He said some lofty things about how our public discourse should be free of violence and then went and attacked uh, Ms. Maxine Waters, one of the recipients of a bomb, a Democratic congresswoman from Los Angeles, who he seems to have a particular uh, animus about. Labor and Love Radio and the Labor Beat. Well, I brought up Neil Young there because there has been, um, this last week, there was court action about Monsanto, as you know or may not know. Um, um, as you know or may not know, Monsanto manufactures a... Uh, <clears throat> pesticide called Roundtrip, <clears throat> which they knew all along as a carcinogen, right? And they were sued by a man named Dwayne Lee Johnson. <clears throat> the judge ruled in, their, in Johnson's favor and awarded him 200 and the jury awarded him $289 million dollars. And it was just reduced to 78 million by a, an appeals court. This may not sound like much of a win, but there was good news in the judge's decision. The jury's guilty verdict was upheld. Okay, this is one of the first times now that Monsanto has been directly connected to the death caused deaths caused by its Roundup. Pesticide. The good news for everyone who's ever fought to get Roundup off the market and for everyone who's ever wanted Monsanto to be held accountable for its crimes. For a while, Monsanto's lawyers were confident that the judge would throw out the cash award and the guilty plea. There are thousands of lawsuits. Monsanto is now owned by Bayer, okay, Bayer Aspen. This is a huge German conglomerate that was so big it had to be split into five parts. 8,700 plaintiffs believed to have cancer as a result of exposure to Roundup. Working people now, people working out there in the fields. They got a job out there and they're being poisoned by a corporation that knows very well that it's a carcinogen. 
so now, in the end, no verdict, no amount of money will make Dwayne Johnson's terminal nod Hodgkin's lymphoma go away. But the verdict, even in its diminished form, provides hope that with continued pressure, with more trials, with more financial losses for Monsanto buyer, truth and science may one day prevail. Every time you look at a big corporation like this, you find that on some level they are cheating in order to profit and deliver big profits to their shareholders. They have to cheat. They have to do something crooked. They have to kill things. They have to rip off the earth. They have to exploit their workers. Okay, this is popularresistance.org, which, by the way, has been suppressed by Google. People are calling on schools throughout the country to ban Roundup in honor of Johnson, a former school groundskeeper who bravely stood up to Monsanto. Some schools have already stepped up to the plate, (coughs) including California's Benicia, right in the Bay Area here, Unified School District. Look on the website. There's a petition, Roundup, used to kill working people. Monsanto, and get the Neil Young album, the Monsanto years. Okay, Labor and Love Radio. La Pura Neta, I wrote on this one. This is from Business Insider. And Business Insider, what do they care about working people? Well, who's going to do the work? <laughs> who's going to do the work to make give Business Insider some corporation to write about? A minimum wage worker needs 2.5 full-time jobs to afford a one-bedroom apartment in most of the U.S. Business Insider. The federal minimum is far below what a worker needs to earn to afford a one-bedroom apartment. Many minimum wage workers can't even afford a modest one-bedroom apartment. The national housing wage for a modest one-bedroom apartment is $17.90. Okay? That's what you that's a minimum you've got to be making to afford that one bedroom apartment and have a life. The federal minimum wage is $10 less at $7.25. So you need two and a half jobs to afford a one room apartment. If a, wor- if a worker holds two full-time minimum wage jobs, they'd be earning $14.50 an hour total, still under the $17.90. The worker would have to take on another part-time minimum wage job to make up the difference. 
a 99-hour work week, 52 weeks a year. Look on the website here, Business Insider, and the headline is a minimum wage worker, and there's a map that shows the hourly wage you need to to afford a one-bedroom apartment. Well, in California, it's $25.67. In a place like South Dakota, it's 11 and a quarter. New York, it's $26. Florida, $17, and on and on. Only five states, Arizona, California, Colorado, Oregon, and Washington, have one-bedrooms affordable for minimum wage workers across 22 counties. Workers fare a little better in Arizona, where the minimum wage of 10.50 is actually the lowest of those five states. The housing wage for a one-bedroom apartment there is $14.64. Even Arkansas, which has the most affordable housing in the country, has a higher one-bedroom housing wage than the minimum wage, which is uh, $8.50. Pardon me. Lastly, uh, Hawaii has the most expensive housing. Minimum wage is $10.10. The housing wage for a one-bedroom apartment is $27.44. A worker in Hawaii would have to work almost three full-time jobs just to afford a one-bedroom rental. Read them and weep. Business Insider. Check it out. La Pura Neta. This is what life is really like. We've got a labor action going on right here in San Francisco as Marriott hotel workers Marriott hotel workers go on strike with the motto one job should be enough. Supervisors to hear Marriott case after weeks long strike. And again, this has gone all over the beginning in Boston all the way out to Honolulu, uh, to Hawaii. Workers against low wages at Marriott. The Board of Supervisors will soon hear the root causes. Okay, we're here on SF Weekly. Pardon me. A nationwide strike by Marriott workers taking place in San Francisco. Nearly 2,500 San Francisco Marriott workers walked off the job nearly three weeks ago in what union organizers are calling the city's largest hotel strike in decades. Workers have been relentless to pursue a contract that includes higher wages and benefits, job security, and workplace safety after more than two months without a contract of any kind. Supervisor Hillary Ronan called for a hearing at the Board of Supervisors meeting to connect the strike that she says raises questions about what kinds of jobs it will support in the coming years. Now, this is the cornerstone, okay? 
These are the invisible people. This is, but this is the cornerstone of San Francisco's economy, the tourist trade, the hotel industry. Okay, those big uh, trade shows that I used to help move into Moscone Center. Now there are three Moscone Centers. A fourth is on the way. This is a huge moneymaker for San Francisco. The strike appears to be working. The picketing, complete with signs and bullhorns, is hard to miss outside the Mar Marriott Marquis, the Palace Hotel, Courtyard Marriott downtown, the St. Regis, the Weston St. Francis, and the W, the W and the Marriott Union Square. San Francisco police arrested 41 strikers in San Francisco on Friday. Here's what people who have uh, gone into the Marriott. No bath or bath cleaning in five days. Worker strike was managed terribly by the company and staff. Security required you to show a wristband every time you entered the building. Marriott is also losing money on a lucrative month made off conferences like Comnet 2018. The 1,000 person conference spent $300,000 to change locations from Marriott out of respect for the workers and could mark its first financial loss on a conference, the Chronicle reported. In the first couple days of the strike, Nonprofit Shanti Project canceled its annual fundraising gala, also in support of the strike. The Marriott Workers' Strike, says Ronan, is a reminder that real change often starts with ordinary groups of people outside the corridors of government. It's a reminder that income inequality and all the crises it causes, from housing to health care, is going to be tackled by determined, organized groups of people with or without the help of their elected representatives. Another uh, conference that I noticed was um, a Latino group that gives scholarships to uh, young women, young Latino students. They canceled their strike as well. That's what it takes people of conscience who decide to support workers who know they got to serve somebody so they serve the workers and not the corporations this is um, SF Weekly website okay how about some music? And I had, uh, well, here's a little jazz. Ms. Janelle Monet Robinson made a point this week to remind people that when you scratch it all down, 
She's still Janae Robinson. And uh, she's concerned about the rights of people. It's called Cold War. By uh, Janae, Janelle Monet, I'm sorry. Janelle Monet Robinson. She called herself.
taxation without representation 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation no representation in the capital of this nation 200 years of exploitation give the people their right to vote someone asked me was it true the voting rights of the district were long overdue they couldn't believe it when i said yes and then i said you ain't heard nothing yet we are based in washington dc a truly diverse community almost 600,000 strong have been exploited much too long inadequate power over our own affairs and national issues for which we care no votes in congress the senate the house no state delegation no representation we pledge allegiance my country tis a fee fighting wars pay taxes in this country provide work and services for the government we get no vote but our money is spent well you may wonder how in the world can this be i thought we lived in a democracy where the u.s constitution gives equal protection check the 14th amendment to make this connection no taxation without representation 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation oh well no in the capital of this nation 200 years of exploitation Give the people their right to vote in 1787, the U.S. Constitution was ratified. U.S. Congress won the power to exclusively exercise, in all cases, legislation over the future capital of this nation. In 1790, selection of the district sites began, using a piece of Virginia and a piece of Maryland, forming the District of Columbia or Washington, D.C. But the people kept on voting in their former state, you see. In 1800, Congress took control of D.C. Ended representation for the whole community. In the history of this country, you'll find the reason why. And even in the new millennium, they want this law to apply. In 1846, the portion of D.C. from Virginia decided to retrocede. It was returned to the original state line. Alexandria and Arlington County came after this time. In 1871, an elected delegate with no vote was created for the House of Representatives, no joke. D.C. was given territorial government that year. Representation remained an issue, do you hear? In 1874, financial troubles arise. The position of non-voting delegate meets its demise. The territorial government that was given to D.C. was taken back by Congress at this point of history. In 1970, the House brings the position back. Years of civil rights activism brought 
pressure with no slack A step in the right direction brought the people so much joy And the man in its position was Walter Fonteroy In 1978, Congress finally said okay to the Devoted Rights Act But not right away If approved within seven years with no hesitation D.C. would be granted full representation In 1985, our hopes were really, really high We knew that they should not let this bill die All we needed was approval of 38 states But only 16 states would support our candidate And the exploitation continues in 1993, the district made a giant step. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton worked hard to get a DZ vote on the House floor, which Congress did approve. But when Republicans came to power, the decision was overruled. Now I'm sure you're wondering what can be done. There are at least four ways that this fight can be won. Some suggest we retrocede as a part of Maryland, become a city or a county, and that state once again. Or a new law could pass with a Congressional vote, D.C. residents would be counted in the Maryland vote for federal elections since it's taking without retroceding back. This would leave our residency intact, or Congress could pass another law for D.C. like they did in Okay, that's uh, Sweet Honey and The Rock talking about the campaign for voting rights in uh, Washington, D.C., on TV show with some smart ass New York Jew and the Jew laughed less dramatics and the audience laughed less dramatics too well he may be a fool but he's our fool and if they think they're better than him they're wrong so I went to the park and I took some paper along and that's where I made this song We talk real funny down here We drink too much, we laugh too loud Free to be put in 
cop on the west side He's free to be put in a cage in Huffington Randy Newman there with Rednecks, a satire on what Northerners feel about Southerners, or a representation talking about all the black neighborhoods all over the country, about how African Americans are free to live there. Randy Newman, always a little bit more complicated than you think. This is the B, and this is the Labor and Love Show. And we still got a lot of things to talk about here. Um, supervisors, like I said, are going to hear that the case of uh, Marriott. But all over the country now, there's a hotel strike. So when you see a picket line, you know, stop by, honk your horn, go and buy them some waters. Eighty years ago today, on October 24th, the Fair Labor Standards Act took effect, creating for the first time a federal right to a minimum wage and overtime while also banning child labor. While most of us may not think of this event as a landmark achievement in the fight for freedom in this country, anyone who works or has ever worked here wants to take a moment to be grateful for the brave workers and leaders who push for the FLSA. <clears throat> as on the National Employment Law Project. Frances Perkins, President Franklin Roosevelt, Secretary of Labor and the nation's first woman cabinet member, was the visionary leader who conceived of a law that would establish a new type of basic economic freedom grounded on a worker's right to fair day's pay for a fair day's work a right to rest, and a right for children to be children and not simply cheap labor. Check it out, National Employment Labor Project. The whole thing about the guaranteed universal income, let's, let's look at that for a minute. On the RT, Russian television website, the headline is Robots to Build Robots in New $150 Million Facility. And another terrifying development for those who believe that Android advancement will lead to the extinction of the human race. 
Robots will soon be building other robots in a $150 million factory in China. Swiss engineering group ABB plans to have the Shanghai-based factory up and running by the end of 2020 and will produce robots for the Asian market. Their machines are used in various industries to build everything from automobiles to electronic devices. The company says that the new robots will work alongside humans in the new 75,000-square-foot facility. They will be tasked with many of the small parts assembly tasks needed to build the robots itself. As well as building themselves, robots are tearing things up on Tinder, doing Parker, and even giving evidence in Parliament. ABB does not seem to be concerned that robots might replace humans. It proudly boasts that it's cutting-edge artificial intelligence research to create the most sophisticated, automated, and flexible factory of the future. So now, if this kind of thing catches on, which it will, because employers are always looking for cheaper labor, and cheaper also includes the fact that robots don't get sick, that robots don't file uh, uh, lawsuits, that robots don't want holidays. <laughs> So what else could you wish for? The question becomes, which we'll talk about next week, what do you do with the workers who are displaced? The ruling class does not want to see groups of men and women on street corners who are there because they don't have a job to go to. They will become an army. So... Thus the idea of a universal wage. But hmm, we'll see. And we'll talk about that next week. Um, so this is Labor and Love Radio. You're listening to. We're uh, rounding the uh, back stretch now, coming into the home stretch. little more um, background on the Marriott strike. 7,000 hotel workers in the U.S. are on strike against Marriott, the world's largest hotel chain. Marriott's profits have doubled in five years. In 2016, the hotel chain expanded its empire when it acquired Starwood's 1,200 properties including the Weston and Sheraton hotel chains. So always with capitalism, big capitalism, things are combined. Big companies buy up smaller companies and make bigger and bigger and bigger companies. And the bigger the companies get, the further removed they are from the everyday lives of the people who produce their wealth. 
Sales last year totaled $23 billion, yet workers say they haven't seen it in their paychecks or benefits. Many are working two jobs to make ends meet, hence the slogan, one job should be enough. Courtney Leonard, a server at the Western Boston Waterfront Computes, commutes 100 miles a day round trip from New Bedford. She's originally from Boston, but can't afford to live there. I drive two and a half hours each way, she said. It's awful. I'm 28, newly married, and I feel like my life is on hold. Hotel room prices have skyrocketed to as much as $1,500 a room. But wages haven't seen the same bump. To make their job sustainable, the city's hotel workers are pushing for year-round health benefits, even for those who are laid off during slow months. All right, let's get some music. Then we'll do uh, working class history. Don't have time for much here. All right, Bob Marley.
Hmm. Okay. Looks like uh, Bob Marley gave up on us. Okay, this is the B, and this is Labor and Love Radio. And as we always tell you, we're uh, coming at you from 2781 21st Street in San Francisco. And uh, this is the show where we tell you how it is. We tell you if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a, ta- a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, <clears throat> you're probably on the menu. In fact, you are on the menu. <clears throat> never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, <clears throat> I mean you. Okay, let me look for a couple of sayings here. We have a couple of credos that we want to repeat. Labor and Love Radio on Mutiny. Looking for our jazz feed right now. Looking for our jazz feed right now. Let's see what we got. Take a tram 
that stretches over a huge gorge in the Alps. Um, one guy is a very rich, privileged guy, and he shows up at the tram in order to travel across. He's very impatient. He's upset at his chauffeur and uh, can't get anyone to carry his luggage for him. Gets mad about that. And the other guy is a family man whose uh, family is vacationing. And um, his wife and kids have gone to see a relative in another city, a little town close by. <clears throat> so he takes the tram over and goes and enjoys a day at uh, Reichenbach Falls, where Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Moriarty supposedly struggled to their death. Uh, he wakes up, runs back to the tram. The rich guy is there. The tram runs out over this huge gorge and a river far below. And it stops. It, it breaks. So it's hanging there, bouncing up and down in the wind. And these two guys are on it. And a messenger, message comes over the intercom that one of the two of them is going to have to jump out because uh, the way the, the wind is, it's, the cable will break with the weight of two of them. So they have a debate about who's more valuable to society. And the rich man tells about how many people he employs, uh, how his money is doing good, his investments are helping people, and what about you, he says to this other guy. And the other guy says, well, I was a mailman. I was a mailman. And the rich man laughs. You're a mailman? <laughs> oh boy, you delivered the mail. Well, my work is far more important than yours. I'm providing income for many, many people. You have to be the one to jump. The mailman thinks about it and nods to himself, then stands up and pushes the rich man off the tram. And the rich man howls as he drifts through the air going down. The Marxist mailman, by yours truly. Okay, it is 11.48 now, and it's time for us to go and make space for Scott Walker and his excellent show, Flat Black Plastic. What treasures has Scott found this week in the used record stores and the Salvation Armies of San Francisco? Stay tuned and see. In the meantime, this is the beast saying bye to you. Have a good week and good work. And please remember that you're not part of the problem unless you don't stand up. If you stand up, you're part of the solution. Stand up and be counted. And by the way, make sure and vote. I read something this week about voting. If your vote didn't matter, why are the Republicans trying to take it away? 
Your vote doesn't matter. Why are they trying to take it away? And I see Scott right now with his vote t-shirt. So he'll be on shortly. In the meantime, this is the B. Wishing you a happy weekend and good work this week. See you again next Saturday morning. Apply now for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2019. Applications open until November 30th for 25 shows in five days. 40 comics chosen March 1st through 5th, 2019 for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. It's our fourth annual and we hope you apply from whatever part of the nation or international comedy scene you come from. Apply now through November 30th. Go to our website, www.mutinyradio.fm, for more details. Aloha, mutineers. Stolowitz here. People ask me, Dave, why do you spend so much time listening to mutinyradio.fm? Well, the answer's simple to me. It's the love I find here. We've got so many great programs here. There's something for everybody, surely. Well, maybe not the Hitler crew, but you know everyone else. Let me tell you about some of my favorite shows here at Mutiny you may not have heard about. Labor and Love with Bill Morgan is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Bill is passionate about labor, jazz, and solidarity, and he tells you how it is. No BS. If somebody gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. I always learn a lot from Labor and Love. It's educational and inspirational. The Common Thread Collective is every Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. with legendary octogenarian Haight-Ashbury activist Diamond Dave. With help from his friends, Dave talks news, wisdom, progressive activism, and spirituality. There's also open mic time for music, poetry, and stories. Comics gotta hold off till happy hour, though. Oh, and check out Flat Black Plastic with Scott Walker, Saturdays from noon to 2. The title says it all. Classic vinyl albums with no apologies. Great stuff. You can listen in live to these fine programs on mutinyradio.fm or download the podcast at your convenience on Apple iTunes. What a deal. Authentic, real San Francisco love. That's what keeps our ship afloat. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke 
workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> For all your space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bare exoskeleton Contessa. And check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com. Timstesseract.com. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things.
vinyl enthusiast. That is flat black plastic. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins... Hey people, I'm, the Flat Black Plastic Show is being brought to you by Mutiny Radio. FM, the home of good music, good comedy, good friends, good times, and good drugs. Pam, I forgot the... Uh, Devin's price, but next week.